Hey guys, welcome to the inaugural episode of our new podcast, Leave the Left to Us. Um, originally, Matt and I were doing a podcast called Judge a Book by Its Cover, and it was great. We had fun doing it, but uh, it just each episode became more and more political, and mm. we're like, screw it, we're just going to do a political <laughs> podcast and get rid of books. Yeah, we basically, we really liked, you know, um, discussing, like, the different covers of the books, but the problem with it was, essentially, we were just getting, like, more and more beaten down with politics, like, the longer we went on, and we didn't really want to keep on, you know, just d- only discussing politics in our book podcast, so we decided to transition our podcast, instead of, like, a comedy book podcast now it's a politics podcast aka a a comedy podcast (laughs) are we a trans podcast i we're an intersectional podcast. intersectional there we go i like that (laughs) just two intersectional feminists yeah talking about intersectionality white males just you know like the stereotype like oh if you're white you have to have a podcast like you know so um so today you know, on the first episode, we're going to be um, discussing a couple things, but the um, first one is we wanted to discuss um, one of our favorite podcasts, uh, Red Scare, right? The ladies at Red Scare. Um, the first, uh, first, what was it, like two days after you got off Twitter, like you decided to take a Twitter uh, hiatus, there's a bunch of Twitter beef. Yeah, that's kind of the reason I got off in the first place, so I don't see how this is, like, compelling me to go back. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, Josh, you just have to ignore it, and then I texted him, I said, oh, no, like, you definitely should just stay get back on Twitter right now. (laughs) Um, So, essentially, what happened was, um, on the newest episode of the Red Scare podcast, um, the the ladies had uh, special guest Amber from Chapo Trap House on, and they were discussing the Zizek Peterson debate. And so uh, initially, like what happened was they were talking about how um, this guy, Nathan Robinson, the one of the editors, I think he, he might be editor in chief or, or just an editor over at Current Affairs, um, basically wrote an article, you know, decrying the Zizek Peterson debate. Like he didn't like it and he tweeted out something like, um, you know, one of the worst hells I can imagine is being stuck in a room listening to these two guys debate, right? Which isn't very fair because they're, you know, very different and they have different ideas and there's a lot of good that came from the debate, right? Oh, we'll get into that. Yeah, and so she, Amber said something along the lines of um, he essentially is like kind of, he called Zizek a charlatan basically like a performer and she called him out and said like listen you know you are you've been known to be performative you have like this fake british accent like you're not from england like and so a lot of it kind of boiled to a head when the other one another editor from current affairs recently on twitter um, decided to give beef to anna for some reason because anna was trying to write a critique um, of this book that came out for current affairs and she was the editor and she was like oh honey like i have receipts you know you shouldn't be going after you know this other editor and so anna just ended up leaking the drafts themselves and all of it was just like a giant shit show on the left you know yeah that's the that's the left doing its classical uh cannibalization 
And that's why they can't win any debates or getting any traction because people just look at it and they're like, that's dysfunctional as hell. Like, I'm not going to join that. Right. That's the thing. Like, they're either um, people who are cosplaying as leftists, right? Like, these fucking liberals and libertarians who are just like, oh, no, we're leftists. Like, you know, we have, like, social programs and stuff. But And then there's the people who are, like... So, you know, a lot of us are, you know, further left, obviously, the socialists and social democrats and so on. And we, you know, nobody hates the left more than the left because we're all dysfunctional and disorganized. And that's why a lot of the times, like when the left goes and, uh, you know, tries to debate or, you know, runs against the right, a lot of times people are tired of it. People are tired of, like, the identity politics and people are tired of... um you know the non the the non collectiveness of the left. You know. Yeah, what I've seen is just like a a very surface level diagnosis of the problem, which mm. but it makes sense to me is that as evil as the GOP and Republicans are, they have a very they're like they're brand masters. They know how to craft simple easy to follow narratives and messages and then you have the leftists going well it's a little more complex like that and they start having to explain themselves and in the eye of just your average person like they don't have time to research all the nuances of a debate mm. so it's just much easier to accept these simple answers as factually incorrect as they are mm -hmm. um it's just something easier to swallow and I don't know how the left is, or specifically Democrats, are going to get over that. I mean, we could get into it like for hours, just talking about how the Democratic Party, like the infighting going on, and but yeah. it's like the Republicans. It's Mitch McConnell has them like in lockstep for the most part. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like you know, the reason why we got a president like Trump, you know, who's just basically an actor who is portraying himself like playing a right person, you know, um, is that. People are tired of, like, the nerdy fucking, like, a college trans girl yelling at them over identity politics, right? And it's instead of, like, trying to sit down and having a conversation with people, they're just not, you know? And that's the thing. Like, it's kind of hard to market yourself as a viable solution when you can't understand, like, you know, originally the left um, socialism in particular... Uh, was for the workers, right? It was for the, the average everyday people. And the, the thing is, like, the Republicans ended up seizing that demographic. They ended up, you know, we like, the a lot of the left started moving towards these, like, identity and feminist-type politics instead of focusing on, like, what the left has historically focused on, which is, you know, dialectical materialism. Yeah, as soon as you, and I think this is what Bernie Sanders and AOC are trying to get back to, is a call for politicians in particular to actually do their job and work for the person and not corporations. Mm. Uh, and it's like, honestly, I feel like you could lump most Democrats, especially the establishment ones, along with the GOP. Like, oh, yeah. There's, they're, there's fighting amongst the groups, but neither side is actually working for the people, the, the right will say one thing as if they're working for the people, but we all know they're actually working for these corporations. It's a, the Democrats don't even pretend to be working for the people. <laughs> they're like, 
you know, they just have these like really fluffy, uh, make you feel good kind of politics or whatever, which is like, that's not the issue at all. I think you put it, uh, I don't know if you got this from someone else, but the idea is like, I'm sorry, we don't need more women CEOs. We just need no CEOs. Right. That's perfectly true. Like I agree with that wholeheartedly. Well, well, that's the thing also, like it's kind of like the, the reaching across the aisle, right? Like we need to, we need to work with, you know, like the thing is like, when you have, you know, the we always discuss the Overton window, right? When you have yeah. the Overton window, that's essentially like, you know, we're trying to have Democrats who are fucking who aren't Democrats who are fucking centrist, mm-hmm. right? And then you have like, you know, these like neo-lib fucking establishment Democrats who say, oh no, we need to like, you know, we just need to compromise. We need to do this. We need to do that with you know the right. And the problem is like. People, all politicians across all spectrums have compromised too much, right? It's like when they, you know, uh, decided to start working, you know, they're not even working together. They're working for this fucking neoliberal capitalist hellscape that we're living in, you know, and and that's the thing. Like, it's crazy that the most radical candidate in our country is a fucking democratic socialist, right? Like, it's insane. Yeah, and people in other countries are, like, laughing at us because you're like, that's what you guys call the far left and you're so afraid of? Like, that's just mainstream in our country. Like, that is the centrist in our country is, like, <laughs> the person who wants Medicare for all and, like, rights for workers and actually works for the people. What I think has been getting me down a lot recently is just thinking about, like... And I mean, you can look at the data. Americans, especially those from like the age range of 15 to 25, like that younger generation that you and I belong to, Matt, mm-hmm. is so freaking depressed. Right. And like has so many issues. Um, and I haven't looked at the data for like what the youth look like in say Finland or Sweden or Estonia, but on average in those countries where they already have socialized policies, they're some of the happiest countries on earth. And I think that has something to say of like freedom, calling for freedom and calling for capitalism. It only goes so far and you get to this point where like everything is a part of the market, like sex is a part of the free market Mm -hmm. and like relationships on any level can be monetized and it's like you look at these hyper capitalist hellscapes especially like in japan and people are just killing themselves like left and right yeah it's like is that our future is that what we're barreling towards yeah and it's it's scary because like and a lot of the stuff that's been getting you know like both of us down recently and a lot of people down is that we just kind of recognize it and we feel like you know you feel like you're powerless oh absolutely you know, and so what happens is there's like a lot of like y- young guys, like we were talking about this earlier. There's a lot of young guys who really like Jordan Peterson because there's like a like a, a figure who essentially, um, you know, who he goes and he says like, listen, you know, like do these basic, and you know, you know me, I fucking hate self help books. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, but he gives like advice that everyone should know essentially. And these guys kind of latch on to it and they say, oh, wow, like this is, you know, profound. Like this is we're not worthless. We we actually have meaning, you mm-hmm. know, like killing the chaotic female dragon or whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um, but these guys like start radicalizing because they they're overeducated, they're underemployed and they have they're basically just needs. Right. Like they have no upward momentum. They're not 
you know, they're not going anywhere in the social strata. There's no women that are out there, you know, going to fuck them, right? Because it's it's all linked to this, like, neolib capital, capitalist hellscape like we were talking about. And they don't recognize the problem. They have a guy who comes along, you know, mm-hmm. like, stop me if this one sounds familiar. They have a guy that comes along. They have a lot of guys that come along and say, listen, the problem isn't you. It's this Muslim trans girl in college screaming about your privilege, even though you can't afford to pay rent. Like, you know, that's and they kind of like push it into that arena. Yeah, it's that continual uh, uh, search for the other. We never even though Jordan Peterson is saying take responsibility for yourself. He again is still blaming the other for a lot of your problems. And I'm sorry, like uh, a Marxist college professor is not going to be the downfall of America. It's going to be A.I., automation and the day which already honestly in my opinion already happened it's just going to get worse Mm -hmm. is where corporations rule all our lives which already kind of happens uh i was talking to a friend at work about this saying like the thing about like living in dystopian future is like everybody thinks that it's gonna be this like terrible horrible thing and the signs of it everybody's like going to be living these terrible lives and the buildings are going to be in shambles like a 1984-esque world but the thing is the people living in dystopia Mm. hardly ever realize they're living in dystopia it's only the person reading the book who has that third person outsider's perspective and sees the big picture that realizes it like i i guarantee you the people who live in dystopias don't like don't actually realize it i haven't interviewed anybody in north korea they probably know they live in somewhat of a dystopia just because it's like a little more in your face but when you have something like america which is such a complex has so many complex issues and i think zizek addresses that idea in the debate with peterson is like it's not that simple like you can't just boil everything down to clean your room like you gotta help yourself yeah but you gotta like if the, the society is the obstacle in your way, no amount of self-help is going to fix that. Well, what's interesting, it's see, it's interesting that you mentioned that, like, that's actually, like, our next topic is, this, you know, the Zizek Peterson. Yeah, let's get into that right now. So, uh, what's interesting, though, like, we'll transition with this, is um, I've, I've been reading more Zizek, right? Like, I, I started reading him right before the debate, and I, you know, kept re- obviously kept reading after. And he's talking about, um, you know, context, like hindsight, right? And he's saying that we always look at things through a future perspective, like in things in the past, right? Or even the present, we're looking at it through a future perspective. Yeah. And he says essentially, like, it informs our view of what is happening now. So, like, when you look at when you look at something, say, you know, um, a revolution or any type of political upheaval in the future, it looks apparent of how that happened yeah right but to the people at the present because we're not looking at it from a future type point of view it's like you know we're just looking at it as this is the present a lot of people say things like um oh the you know i'll only do the revolution when the revolution happens and it's like that's not how revolutions happen it's revolutions happen because um people decide to start them and no one no one you know out there like one of the quotes that he puts in the book in in, in Zizek's book is, um, you know, somebody said, "Oh, I'll you know, um, 
I'll start the revolution when the conditions are right. And they and he said, well, if you, you know, uh, the person that he's quoting says, mm-hmm. well, if you say that, then revolutions would never happen because yeah. there's no right time for a revolution, right? Um, and we're, I'm not saying like start a revolution. I'm just saying like within the historical context, like you said, no one, a lot of people don't know that we're living in this like, you know, weird futuristic like horror version of like this neoliberal hellscape um and and it it won't be until we're dead and gone probably that people will look back at history books if if, if things get better or things get worse you know they'll look back at history books and say oh we saw the signs we just didn't heed them yeah and what's what's interesting in the idea of looking at everything as in it's already happened or the the future like you were talking about is that you know like the the people during the Revolutionary War, it's not like they knew what was going to happen afterwards. Like, we see the entire story. I'm like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like, I totally see that working out. Mm-hmm. But in the moment, like, they didn't know it was going to succeed. Right. They didn't know it was going to have the impact it did on the world. I mean, you can take any event like that. And it's like the people in the moment actually really didn't know how that turned out. And they took this risk and they took this jump. And... You know, we could use the R word, revolution, to to talk about our modern day, Uh, whether, you know, you believe that's in bloodshed, which I'm not quite there yet. But, uh, (laughs) but, you know, we do kind of need a social revolution. Um, We have like a a very undereducated population, it feels like. Um, Mm. And you the thing is, though, you can't blame the people like. Right. It's always still the government's fault, like no matter how you try to rework it, is the people are trying to survive. Yeah. I and mean, they're they, going to do everything they can to do that. I mean, one of the things, uh, again, like to quote Zizek, one of the things about it is that the people don't have time to, to worry about this stuff, right? Because they're, you know, they're just trying to, like, they wake up every day and they either go to their shitty job and hate it and they're just trying to make ends meet paycheck to paycheck while, you know, uh, you know, people like um, Bezos just have more money than God, right? They're just, you know, trying to make it and they don't have time for that. And that's that's part, that's it's cyclical, mm-hmm. right? That's part of the capitalist machine is the capitalist machine is just this like ever rotating thing where they try and appease the masses like at the barest minimum. Yeah, and they're not even doing that anymore. No. Because like we have this like in our, in our head, we've been, you know, so... like so inundated with like all this stuff that like it's just it's not even bread and circuses anymore it's just circuses like the romans said that to appease the crowd so that they wouldn't revolt and and kill people like give them give them food and give them entertainment we Mm -hmm. don't have that anymore like we we don't even have that we don't have the basic you know and, and yes like life is better across the board for everybody but that's not the point the point is to try and get equal like try and you, you know mitigate the inequality it's we're not trying to make a bigger middle class we're trying to eliminate class yeah i mean that's the end goal eventually is is to do that but right now you know like what are the steps we can be taking right now what are that's the thing it's like uh there's not this clear path forward and i think that's where conservative conservatism jordan peterson the right in general has the upper hand is that as flawed as their ideas are and as misinformed, it seems like they have a clear path forward. The clear path is make America great again. 
um, which doesn't make sense at all when you look at the historical context, but it's something simple for people to hold on to. And it's, it's what, what is the left, if they ever want to appeal to the masses, what is the left saying? Like, what's the left's MAGA? Well, the thing is like, the thing is like those types of buzzwords, right? Like when you have it, and unfortunately the last presidential election showed it was, um, the left, unfortunately is dull. Like there, there's a lot of like dumb and dull people on, on, in the Democrats, right? Like in, uh, you know, in that establishment sphere. And that's the thing, you know, when people have, you know, like, the choice between Trump and Hillary, like nine and a half times out of ten, they're gonna choose Trump because like he he beats her on a lot of the you know, the identity politics and, and the fact that like, you know, you can just go look at look at Hillary Clinton. Like she's she's just as corrupt, if not more corrupt, you know, than Trump. Like yeah. and that's the thing, like, um when you try and wage this identity war, you won't win. You're not speaking to people, and that's why a lot of people you know, if Bernie probably would have won, even back then, he probably he run. He probably would have won, right? Because um, you know, Bernie doesn't just he doesn't appeal to the identity, like like um, like Amber said in in the you know the Red Scare. She said that Bernie doesn't do himself any favors. Like that's you know that's something that he just has never done. He just practice. He has practice. He says this is how we're going to fix it. He he kills people with policy, right? Like it's just. He says this is like this is the step forward, and he has this interesting, like Venn diagram of like hitting different quadrants, right? Like the people who want free college, like the the middle class who are only focused on identity politics, like most of them like Bernie, and like the brochalists, right? Um, as much as we detest them, which we are, I guess, like um, you know they like Bernie because he has like Medicare for all, and and. You know, that's the thing. Like, he hits these interesting, like, quadrants to where a lot of people will vote for him. You know, he's he's not trying to win a popularity contest. Yeah, and that point about Bernie is so relevant. Like, in the, have you been keeping up with the news about um, the, the uh, not the She Too, but um, basically a bunch of candidates were invited to go speak at a uh, Women of Color conference. I yes. forget the name of it. Do you remember what it's called? I don't remember the name of the conference. And yeah. Bernie got some booze and some like very dull reaction. Like I watched the, the segment that they shared on TV and Elizabeth Warren uh, and Kamala literally cop Harris like <laughs> both went on there and got like thunderous applause and people were booing Bernie because uh, the question asked was like, what are you going to do for women of color, basically? I, I believe that was the gist of the question. Mm-hmm. And he didn't um, really change his message. And people felt like he wasn't... Well, first of all, he brought up MLK and got booed for that. Yeah. Which, I'm like, that's kind of weird, right? Yeah, because like the thing is... Like we like we always says Bernie practices what he preaches, right? Like he he has been he has been uh you know a democratic socialist at the very least for thirty plus years, right? He did he he marched you know he was he was the first like like quote unquote ally yeah for real right and like this white dude from Vermont right like he he was able to like kind of you know actually be a fucking decent human being back in the day. And then we have like Kamala, like we said, literally a cop Harris who decided to introduce this fucking truancy law so that people, it disproportionately affected um, lower class people, right? 
And it actually disproportionately affected minorities in her area that were being locked up because if their kids missed more than nine days of classes, the parents could be thrown in jail, which that will solve everything, right? Like her fucking brilliant idea. And then we have Elizabeth Warren, who, while is a viable candidate next, like compared to everybody else, is still not as viable as Bernie because she was literally a Republican back in the day, right? And people, people can change, but like her voting record has consistently and i didn't know this um actually until recently until i started looking more into her she is all about bolstering the middle class she said she's kind of like preaching these hierarchies right she said that of mm-hmm. course there's like you know an upper middle and lower class but like we should make we should focus more on helping the middle class it's like we should fo- no we shouldn't we should focus on helping the lower class yeah for real like- if we're focusing on helping classes at all we should focus on the fucking actual proletariat i think just some some very like easy to grasp concepts when it comes to policy that we should be aiming for and you see this over and over again in the eu specifically scandinavia germany denmark they all have like great education systems Hmm. they have clear paths forward for their citizens and uh in america it's like we have bare bones education system right yes 90 percent of americans have graduated high school which i believe is like the highest it's ever been Mm -hmm. we still have uh 50 million people below the poverty line uh so that hasn't really helped too much and we're we're overeducated and underpaid only 30 percent of americans have a bachelor's degree or higher you know well, and even, that's not a huge amount even then like even regardless of if like we institute like socialist policies and those like even if it goes on the d- decline right people getting because because like I, I think you know we every society needs pe- you know people w- working at the bottom rung essentially mm-hmm. these like like construction jobs right pe- we need construction workers we need tsa agents we need all these people for a functioning society and those people who are paid like less than dirt, like I'm sorry, like we shouldn't pay them less than dirt. We should be, they should be able to have a middle class lifestyle. Wait, are you advocating for a living wage? <laughs> How dare you, you socialists? Yeah, like I just want people, to, I want everybody to have like access to healthcare. And I want, and listen, we're two dumbasses. Like we probably can't solve it, you know, talking about it on a podcast. No, but like, absolutely at, not. At the same time, like you don't have to be a genius to go, hey, I want equality for people, right? Yeah, and these are just some very simple, like I said, to the rest of the world, that's like centrist, like mainstream politics right there. In America, it's like we're stuck in a time machine, like it's still 1888 or whatever, like the the Civil War just ended and we're, it's it's like we haven't uh, gone beyond our simple-minded, and I think that's like the ethnocentrism and arrogance of Americans is that our way is always the best, like... Um, I doubt he'll hear this, but some guy uh, in my group this morning when we were doing our presentation mm. gets up, and it's just ironic to me that his his slide was called "Country and Customer," and the oh. country was U.S. So <laughs> it's just hilarious. He's like he starts off by saying, uh, "Nissan's in the U.S., the greatest country on earth," and then he goes unironically to list the 50 million people still in poverty. Uh, the illiteracy rate in America, like it's the people in China, uh, have a higher liter literacy rate than in America. Yeah, and it's like 
We could, oh man, we'll have to do a podcast on China because I'd love to talk about that in depth. Well, shit, North but, Korea, right? Like starving North Koreans have a 0% homeless rate. They all have wow. housing. Like wow. we have more, we have more houses. Are we counting their, their gulags? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> honestly, like, <laughs> I mean, at this point, like it's probably better than, you know, a lot of the stuff that, that we're, I, and I'm not saying that obviously, like I'm not saying North Korea is better than America or, or whatever, but like honestly, this we're fucking, we are living in like this neoliberal hellscape, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so let's just talk about like the one, our fucking Slovenian father, and um, and so on and so on. <laughs> yeah, and so on and so on. So recently, because the Zizek Peterson debate was like getting thrown around, like you and I recently found mm-hmm. Zizek, right? And I. Like I said, leading up to the debate, like I ordered his book, and his books are really dense. They're they're a lot to go through because it's like, it's literally like Lacan looking through Heigl, looking through Freud, looking at Marx. Like it's so intense. Like you kind of have to do like a quick, you know, search. You go, wait a minute. I know, like, I read Freud and I've read Marx, and like I've read part of Heigl, but like I haven't read Lacan or or vice versa, right? So you're kind of looking at like this um you know these different philosophers and psychoanalysts and you know um these people and you're you're reading the books and a lot of like i said you kind of have to google it but um so like yeah we recently found him and i liked this i finished his um book uh enjoyment as a political fact or uh uh, they know not what they do. Enjoyment as a political factor. Uh, it was very good, and so I bought his first book, um, "The Sublime Object of Ideology," which is great. It's even e- it's like easier to understand because it's his first one. Um, and so we, you and I, both sat down. Um, we didn't pay for it because we're not lining fucking Peterson's pockets uh, for the debate. But we both sat down and, and watched uh, on YouTube the debate. Yeah, we watched the debate and we watched uh, Zizek's film. This is after the bait called The Pervert's Guide to Cinema, which was fantastic. It's on YouTube if you guys could free find a free copy of it. It's great. But the, the Zizek-Peterson debate, I think my favorite part about it wasn't even necessarily the debate. It's been the discussion post-debate. Yes. Um, and I'll let you share about what you found on the Jordan Peterson Reddit page because that's kind of up your alley. But what I've found is, you know, I watch a bunch of different political YouTubers like... Uh, David Pakman and the Rational National and some other cuck philosophy and all those guys. Mm-hmm. And um, the discussion post Jordan Peterson's Zizek debate has been one like Jordan Peterson. The debate was not the debate of the century that people have claimed it to be. I saw in some YouTube comments that they were like, oh, this is the greatest thing that ever happened. We love free speech and whatever. It's like, no, you kind of had like Zizek versus a very ill prepared person. Mm. And it wasn't really this battle of capitalism versus Marxism that people had expected pre-debate. Right. Well, that's the thing. Like we, I think a lot of people were psyching it up to be, like you said, the debate of the century. And that's, that's how they were hyping it up. You know, that's how Peterson was hyping it up at least. Mm -hmm. And what you had was a person who was like, you know, intellectually outmatched, honestly, like there was no, it wasn't really that much of a debate. It was just like, it was Peterson, you know, kind of like how he does, just kind of like spewing his personal beliefs about how Marxism is the the evil, right? Like how cultural po- postmodern neo-Marxists, right? How they're the the you know the specter that is haunting America, right? To use Marx, um, and how you know that's the problem with the world today is like, and then Zizek, you know, he could have he doesn't have any you know he doesn't 
respect Peterson at all, right? And he could have easily been an asshole about it, but uh, like the ladies on Red Scare said, he, he wasn't an asshole about it. He just sat down and he calmly said his piece, and, you know, he, he had a couple of zingers in there. Show me the mar- Marxist was a great one. Oh, that was probably the best moment of the debate. Yeah, and uh, that and the violent revolution as well. Yeah, and that, oh my God, when Jordan <laughs> Peterson is like, these these postmodern neo-Marxists, they're calling for a violent revolution to change society, and he got cheers and applause, because it's like, he like couldn't fathom that people would want society to be any different than it is right now. Yeah, and that's the thing, like the best, like you said, the best part about the debate came out after the debate. It wasn't even the debate, it was what came out after, and it was like actually a discussion of Zizek and Marxist ideals. Like it was, that was the best part. Like it wasn't, like you said, it was not this like grand, you know, uh, two massive intellectuals going at it. It was like a, a casual conversation that was aimed at, you know, the lowest common denominator. And there was a lot of people like, like again, like they said on, on Red Scare, it was a lot of people that came over and they, they, they didn't know because they've always heard, you know, Marx. They've never read Marx. They've never tried to understand Marx. They've never talked to anybody who's read Marx. And so all you hear, they just heard these, like, college campus kids, like, sponging how bad, like, the white cis shit male is, right? And so they think that's what a Marxist is. And so they say that's Marx and, and communism's always failed and, like, Russia's terrible. And so... All of the like, we're not Marxists. We're we're capitalists, right? We're libertarians. We're capitalists. We're, you know, like we should have freedom of speech, essentially. And then you have a a, a guy who comes in who's like their, right, their intellectual figure who spouts a lot of like stupid shit about fairy tales, right? Like shit that he doesn't even understand. And he goes up there and he says he he just says I've only read the Communist Manifesto, which is like. What like it's like forty fucking pages? But bro, like, have you read Lenin? Yeah, exactly. And no, he hasn't. That's the thing. Like he hasn't read any Marxist literature ex- until that point. And when he talks to Zizek, Zizek just wipes the floor with him, basically. And just the irony of that of the post postmodernism and Marxism are essentially like incompatible ideologies. There might be a little bit of overlap, but there, at the core of it, they're like not. They're at odds with each other. A lot of Marxists, right? Like, so a lot of like the whole postmodern movement. A lot of the postmodernists were Marxists, but the thing is, like, instead of looking, you know, and and like actually like trying to, you know, go, hey, like communism actually or socialism at the very least is the way to go. Um, they decided that like nothing mattered, right? They just, you know, they kind of like they threw dialectical materialism out the window, and that's. And that's the thing, like, most, a postmodernist can, like, I don't know how to phrase this. I, I was going to say, like, a postmodernist can't be a Marxist, but, they, I mean, they, they can, kind of. But, yeah. like, Marx is literally looking at the inherent, like, real class struggle between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. And then postmodernists are people who say things, like, it's just all floaty gobbledygook, right? Like, and yeah. that's the thing, like... These two um, inherent ideologies are very incompatible, right? And, you know, you can say, oh, I want equality for all, um, but I don't, you know, I'm a postmodernist or whatever. But that's the thing, like, you have this guy, like we said, who comes up, 
super ill-prepared. He had a year to prepare for the debate, too, because he was the guy that kind of like, oh, you know, kind of spurned it on, uh, or so it seemed. And he had a year to prepare, and he was woefully not prepared. Yeah, Zizek uh, had some great points, but the the post-discussion about it I've seen is, one, like you were talking about, people kind of being exposed to Jordan Peterson. Maybe, absolutely, he's a smart guy. Um, and his self-help stuff is probably helpful, I, I would say. But the thing is, it's not just self-help. It's paired with this this political ideology as much as it's he decries that he's political. But, I mean, that's the essence. His entire platform is on politics. And he can, I don't think he can, in good conscience, like, divorce himself from that. Um, it's like Peterson, you either got to just be like the self-help guy and ignore all the ideology or just at least own up to the fact that you're like very much a friend of the right. Well, see, this is what annoy annoys me about Peterson. Right. And it's not the fact that like, oh, he's a, like, I'm not ever going to say he's a, a Nazi because I don't, I don't, cause he's probably not, he's probably yeah. not. And that's the thing. Like he's just, you know, um, cause not the, the right, right. Mm-hmm. It's not the problem with a lot of leftists is that they kind of group, um, you know, all the right together. And I don't yeah. think we and should. And that's the same thing with the, we shouldn't just be psyched. It's not black and white. It's not a left and right thing. It's way more complex than that. Right. And, and the thing is like, um, the thing that fucking frustrates me about Peterson though, is that he does this shit all the, uh, all the time. <laughs> and like, I tried to explain this to a friend cause he's a, uh, one of my friends is actually a big, and I used to be too. Like same. A, yeah. A big Peterson. We talked about Stan, right? Like, and the thing is, um, you know, he says he'll say stuff like he'll go, "Oh, I'm like um, lobsters are hierarchical, and there's like swallows that are hierarchical, so hierarchies are natural." And you say, "Oh, so what you're saying is like our hierarchy is good?" And he'll be like, "I'm not saying that at all. I'm just making an observation." Yeah. And it's it's no, you're not. Like that's the thing. Like you're inherently saying something. Like you are. Even if you are making an observation, you are saying it at, at a certain... I'm not going to tell you, like, a scene in a movie. I'm not going to, like, film this scene in this movie and be like... Uh, like, And then someone says, well, well, you know, what were you trying to say in that scene? I'm like, oh, I had nothing. I was just making an observation. That's not how it works. Like, you are inherently trying to say something. Yeah, he's he can't take away the fact that he's pushing... Not... I don't think he's, like, pushing his own agenda or whatever but he's he's pushing ideas out there and we could get into the whole uh you know like political youtube to extremist pipeline that is going on currently where white supremacists are shooting up synagogues and mosques and stuff and there are huge jordan peterson ben shapiro ben shapiro fans and both Mm -hmm. jordan peterson and ben shapiro decry violence and like national uh like white nationalism and stuff like that. But it's like, yeah, Ben Shapiro, like recently, right. This was mm-hmm. like two days ago. He's talking about how, like, you know, he says that that's, uh, that's funny because he says stuff like all the time about, you know, like the, um, the, the bomber, right. The guy who, who blew up, um, the, the mosque, right. And said that it was because of Ben Shapiro. He was a big Ben Shapiro guy. It was like his number and, one YouTuber. He and, and Ben Shapiro was like, oh, no, I decry this violence, mm-hmm. right? And then he goes, and he's like, I'm not responsible for what my fans do, right? 
And then he goes and says that the fucking synagogue shooting was because of Ilhan Omar's... Oh, my. He did not. Yes, he did. did Quote, unquote, fucking anti-Semitic remarks of her saying, hey, maybe it's wrong to fucking ethnically genocide people. Holy crap, It's wrong to fucking bomb Palestinians. Maybe I do need to get back on Twitter. Holy fudge. That's the bombshell. That's the thing. It's like he... the the way with these guys and that's you know like their whole thing is like free speech like whatever but it's a charade it's not really (laughs) free speech they want freedom of consequences yeah and and I don't know honestly I feel like like not misquote like not quoting them as Nazis or whatever right we can say that they are a gateway to Nazism that's when you when you have Lauren Southern and Dave Rubin is the one of the most guilty one of this too is that and Ben Shapiro equally when you have Lauren Southern on your show or Stefan Molyneux or you're talking to these people Richard Spencer Richard Spencer and you're all buddy buddy with these guys go out to dinner with them you are by default by not speaking out against it friends of the alt-right and so to say that you're not alt-right it's like well you're pretty darn close and that's why people have had to come up with terms like alt-light because it's like we can't actually say that they're white supremacists or alt-right, but they're pretty darn close, like as close as you can without actually going full-blown alt-right. Right. It's it's um what we used to call, um back in the day, we used to have um this term for the alt-right, and they were called fucking Nazis. And then also, they were called fascist Nazi fucks. And then also, what we had for the alt-light was um what you call Nazi sympathizers, right? It's these people who, um, they buddy up to these these types of people and you know and and the thing is like like again we're not calling like we're not calling jordan peterson or ben shapiro or whatever like nazis and we're not saying that they're they would be complicit in like like a white genocide or whatever right what what i'm saying is that uh, i can't i can only speak for myself but what i'm saying is that when you buddy up with these types of ideals right when you are drawing this line in the sand and you're kind of like going more towards these types of ideals um you are sympathetic to to at the very least to their idea you're 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 not necessarily um thinking them yourself but you're entertaining the thought yeah and and the thing i saw this great video i wish i remembered which youtuber did it but it was excellent it's kind of, sh- I think it was called the, it was like the libertarian to all right pipeline where basically, mm. um, the con like people love to rally around this concept of free speech, which like you s- correctly stated is not really free speech it's freedom of consequence. Um, and there's that idea that, uh, all these YouTubers will have, slightly more right-leaning people on their show and by having them on and not denouncing their ideas you're saying like you're vouching for this person essentially and saying check out their youtube channel too and then you check out lauren southern's youtube channel and you're introduced to that her whole posse and it just goes down the drain um and people get sucked into that and it's still that jordan the the problem is jordan peterson is like the perfect collector for this type of audience that is susceptible to becoming white nationalist is because it's like it's honestly our demographic that right. he's attracting. It's like yeah. the you know lower to middle class purse white guy yeah. in college or right out of college who's searching for a job and or even place, right before it. Yeah. Or yeah, and their place in the world and it, his ideas are very appealing. At least that's why I got into him was like because fifteen to like twenty. 
five at the least. Like that ten year gap is kind of where Peterson, you know, fans kind of fall under. Um, and that's the thing. Like it's like the prime age range to get sucked into radical ideals, right? And you listen to um, Joe Rogan, and you're you're sick and tired. Like like we said earlier, you're sick and tired of people telling you what you can and can't say. And you know you you watch these um, people, and what happens is you keep going further and further. And that's the thing. Like I think it I think it was Amber that said this on on again Red Scare. We stay in there stay in their podcast right super hard um amber said that like the left unfortunately is like excluding those guys they're denouncing them as like you know um soy not soy boy that's the kind of their their rhetoric but they say that they're denouncing them you know as as nothing but like you kind of need to pay attention to those guys because like those guys like she said historically speaking those guys are a fucking powder keg right like Mm -hmm. those those are the people that you really have to watch out for. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't kind of like discuss, like, like with the Zizek Peterson debate, if you don't like kind of discuss things, you know, um, with people who are willing to have good faith or Bernie going on Fox, right? That was excellent, by the way. Because you re- recognize that a lot of people like Bernie, right? And he, he's not, he didn't go on Fox for fucking, um, you know, like Zero Books or Jacobin Magazine to write a fucking op-ed about it. He went on Fox because, like, he's trying to attract that demographic, right? And he knows that they're not that that Fox News, the propaganda machine. It is like that might be the only time they're exposed to any like rhetoric from the other side, right? Um, and you—that's the problem with with a lot of. YouTube in general, but also mainstream media, is that it, everything's very one-sided. Everything's seen from one perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and and with like, I remember growing up uh, listening to like Sean Hannity, Rush Limbaugh, like conservative talk Hattie radio. Hannity and Combs, do you remember that? No, I don't. It used to be the, it was the old Fox News program. It was Hannity, and then there was another guy called Combs who was like a fucking centrist. Yeah, but it's like. I heard, especially during the Obama years, like a lot of criticism of Obama. Never really bothered to look into it myself. I just heard constant railing, like yeah. like you said with the buzzwords, like the left, and then talking about Obama being like this oh, extreme. But the thing is, like on the, Fox News, at least, the, like the yeah, left wing media yeah. fucking put him on a pedestal, which he was a fucking he was the definition of neo-lib president. Yeah, and it's like he wasn't one or the other. He was like pretty middle of the road guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, he didn't really do a lot of the policies that he got elected for. But it's like when when you're a kid, you don't really have the opportunity to research that stuff. Or right. especially if your parents are listening to that kind of ideas. And and so it's important just on the individual level to, like, get outside your comfort zone. Watch some watch some YouTubers who normally don't fall in your like path and and even if you are watching left people like watch those destiny debates where he debates people like sargon of akkad or whatever like you know i i don't think you should ever say well i'm going to like like uh what was it norman whoever was on you were talking about amber with amber like the guy like oh nathan nathan yeah sorry saying oh just discounting peterson because he's and gizek right leaning or gizek yeah it's like well that's the kind of like the whole problem is if everybody's doing that and just writing people's ideas off, we don't really learn. They're canceled. Yeah. Everyone's, so everyone's canceled. 
there's something to it, you know, about not just writing people off because of their identity. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, yeah. Um, one of the funniest things recently, I think we'll like, you know, I, I want to leave you with this nugget to like stew on. But one of the funniest things I saw recently was on Twitter. Shout out to um, oh, what's this? He keeps changing his Twitter name uh, at Cognitarians. I don't know like his Twitter name, but he recently tweeted out this thing from this girl who's like, I love Marx. Like I have a Marx tattoo and I quote capital and like all of like every single paper I write. But the thing is like, he wasn't intersectional. Like she said, like intersectional enough for me. And I, I responded with um, a picture of that. And I said, um, Marx wasn't yes queen enough. He's canceled sis. (laughs) That's so true. It's like, and you, you know, you can, I've heard you definitely make this argument that like, Dealing with identity and canceling people and all that, it deals with surface level symptoms. It doesn't actually deal with any of the problems that happen. Yeah, they're not they're not targeting they're not targeting the disease, they're targeting the symptoms. Which I mean we should alleviate the symptoms, but we should also focus on the disease. Eventually, yeah, I agree. I noticed that as the podcast went on, if you noticed, uh started sounding more like Dasha. And um, (laughs) see, we're big Red Scare stands. And so if you ever notice like episode two or three, us just we're starting to talk. (laughs) Um, And uh, we talk about how much it sucks to live in New York. (laughs) (laughs) We're like the polar opposite of New York. I would like uh, uh, Netanyahu to uh, turn my pussy into the Gaza Strip. (laughs) Like if we start saying stuff like that, it's just because we're trying to blatantly rip off the Red Scare. Yeah, I hope this... uh I hope this first introductory episode of our really shitty rip-off podcast of All the Left podcast was good. Yeah, we're total bandwagoners to this movement. We're not like, we're like at the tail end, late adopters of this. Yeah, fuck it. You know, we're white guys. We need something to but do. But hey, that. man, what's what's more constructive than two white guys sitting in, in a room discussing politics and stuff, you know, and, and judging <laughs> people? Like, that's what we live for, right? Yeah. So I guess we'll sign off this first episode um so i guess we will see you guys next time yeah and really quickly you can follow me at postmodern neo-marxists on twitter <laughs> i'll probably be back on in like a week or two but that's legitimately my twitter handle oh and i'm um i just recently changed it uh it was hellboy <laughs> under late stage capitalism oh now it's sonic i'm sonic under late stage capitalism so. yeah you can follow us on twitter uh i believe I don't know if it's going to be the next episode or the episode after. We have our comrade, Cole, who who appeared on an episode of Judging a Book by its cover. He's our resident historian, uh, master's. Uh, I think he just graduated with his master's from West Georgia. But we'll get him on the podcast. He's like full-blown Marxist, and so we're going to have some great conversations with him. I'm, I'm really excited about doing this podcast. I know... Like, uh, I, I wasn't getting tired of doing the book podcast, but I just found like this would be even more fun than what we were already doing. I oh think yeah. We had a good time during this episode. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to try to do this pretty, uh, regularly at least once a week Yeah, and it's summer. I, Matt and I just got out of school essentially like we're done, both done this Wednesday. So it shouldn't be that difficult for us to put out content. Um, yeah, I just appreciate appreciate you guys listening. Thank you. Yes, thank you. And fuck neoliberalism. Woohoo! Centrum, centrism kills. <laughs>